Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already and please share widely with others as well. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today we're talking about climate change and more specifically, we're looking at a new climate collaborative that's coming out of Asia, being organized by the Asia Philanthropy Circle, uh, who are based in Singapore. And today we have three wonderful guests who are going to be joining us today, and they're all involved in this collaborative in different ways. Lawrence Lien, who is the founder and chairman of the Asia Philanthropy Circle. He's based in Singapore, and, uh, and he's responsible for organizing all of this uh, to start with. And we have two philanthropists as well who join us, who have had different journeys and different degrees of experience and expertise, but share a common passion for climate. We have Dominic Scriven, chairman of Dragon Capital. Uh, he's based in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, usually, although today joins us from the English countryside, so not very far away from where I am. And we have Kathleen Tan, who is the director of the Ruma Foundation, generally based in Singapore. And the way I would describe both of these individuals is that they both care about climate and they're passionate about it. Dominic has had a lot of experience in business and policy and has been on this journey for quite a while. And Kathleen, perhaps you could say is more of a next-gen philanthropist, has already been embracing a very steep learning curve and, uh, and really looking to tackle root causes as well. Now, before we kick things off, I'd like to extend a heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence-powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients ranging from large corporates such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they're able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. And in 2019, their mission-based technology approach led The Economist to calling them an AI for good company. So do check them out at quilt.ai. As I mentioned a minute ago, today we have such a pleasure in welcoming Lawrence, Dominic, and Kathleen onto the show, three dedicated philanthropists who are passionate about climate change, they are all part of the Asia Philanthropy Circle, and they're working on launching a new climate collective, a climate collaborative based out of Singapore. Welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Great to be here, Alberto. Thank you. Thank you, Alberto. It's a pleasure to have you all. Lawrence, why don't we start with you? So you, you launched, you founded Asia Philanthropy Circle, and now this collaborative that's coming to the fore. Give us a little bit of insight into why you launched the Asia Philanthropy Circle, what it's all about, and a little bit about this new climate collaborative. Yes, delighted to be here. Um, I launched uh, Asia Philanthropy Circle six years ago, and uh, we intended for this to be a platform for philanthropists, so we are membership-based. We have philanthropists from around the region, mostly around Southeast Asia, nearly 50, together to, to learn, to exchange and collaborate well beyond just uh, inspiring and learning together. Uh, we want joint action, to do things and do more and do things better. Um, and one of the areas that uh, we, we are looking at is climate change, but uh, uh, we have many other joint projects from education, healthcare, 
addressing the aging population and mental health issues in Singapore and so on. Uh, so it's a very broad range because it really depends on what uh, philanthropists care about. But the main point is that I think by working together, uh, we can grow philanthropy together to, to have more impact. And, and that's what I that's great. And Kathleen and Dominic, give us a little bit of insight into, into who you are. Um, hi, my name is Kathleen. I'm really happy to be here. I am second generation in family business here in Singapore. It's led by my father, who ever since I can remember, I'm not sure whether you too, Lawrence, um, he's been motivated to create value, um, really so that he can give it away. So today I lead our family's environmental portfolio at our family office and foundation. I work with my father and my husband and we do grant giving and impact investments. And at the same time, I'm always eager to look at ESG best practices and, and learn how we can embed sustainability in our business units. Great. And what drove you to the climate field? What drove you to this specific area of philanthropy? Yeah. Um, I know we're talking about climate, but the family uh, didn't start out thinking, yes, let's be climate activists. Um, our passion really stems from the ocean. So my husband and I love diving and we actually met on the uh, diving on a liverboard. And like many divers, we enjoy the adventure and the exploration, but we also love animals and the marine life uh, being one with nature. So Diving really opened up my eyes, um, going to the same places and seeing our human impacts constantly is sad and it, it lit a spark. And then watching documentaries and learning about how important the ocean is to our way of living empowered us. And then finally learning about how little funding goes towards the environment really cemented this purpose. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. I think we were saying a little bit before the podcast, not a great deal of global philanthropy funding goes to climate at all. So it's really great to see philanthropists getting involved in this space. And Dominic, give us a little bit of insight into you. Who is Dominic? Thank you, Alberto. And um, uh, I'm very grateful for this invitation to join you. So uh, I'm a Brit, but I've been in, in Vietnam for 30, 30 years. Um, I started as a student at Hanoi University, um, interested in learning a tonal language. Um, and then I got stuck. And so for 25 of those years, 27 of those years, I've been running Dragon Capital. And it's a we're, a, we're an investment institution investing in Vietnam, a financial institution, if you like. So as, as, as we will all be aware, um, the financial industry globally is being tasked with um, responsibility in the way that it allocates capital. Uh, and I think that's that's appropriate. I mean, of course, all, all of us should be tasked with being responsible, but I have no problems with the fact that the financial industry needs to be targeted and tasked. Um, and, and so it's the issue of responsibility of, of, of the climate, of environment, of these sort of non, what we call non-financial issues um, is, is sort of indivisible from from our work and what's particularly interesting about doing this in vietnam is 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 um vietnam is a, obviously a developing country uh it's it's not a great player uh by which i mean it's not responsible uh really in climate change it's very much more a victim of climate change and it's 
it's it's fascinating uh, as well as challenging to see how um, developing countries can can sort of engage with this sort of challenge and set the agenda. Uh, and so it's it's for, for those two reasons, uh, climate change in particular, um, environment in general, uh, are very, very much at top of mind uh, for me as a person, uh, but also for Dragon as a, as a company. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Kathleen, you're a, a next-gen philanthropist. Uh, you've shared with us a little bit about how you got to where you are on your passion for climate, but what are what are some of the challenges, some of the opportunities, some of the uh, the sources of information that you've been going to in order to inform yourself about this really challenging situation that we all face ourselves in? Um, maybe I'll start with philanthropy. So growing up, my father was a humanitarian worker and spent quite some time leading the Red Cross in Singapore before going on to do a number of other things. Some of them with Lawrence, uh, as he mentioned. So they led the National Volunteer and Philanthropy Center together, which is a quasi-governmental unit, and then went on to start the Asia Philanthropy Circle. So as a child, I either shadowed my dad in the office or in the field. However, as an adult, I wondered with his legacy where I might be able to contribute something. And that's where the APC community really gave me the courage to branch out and do something different. So I mentioned earlier that documentaries played a part in learning about the plight of the world, um, the plight of the ocean as well. And I think that really empowered us and, you know, was that first step to want to do something. But there was also, um, I remember this APC event um, in Singapore, I think it was in 2017, where I walked out feeling like I really wanted to come back and be accountable to this community of people that we were seeing regularly. Um, and so that's how this journey began, um, you know, wanting to start work in this area, um, finding partners to work with that we trust is a key part of uh, our strategy. And, and so learning from them along the way and value adding is, is really important. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of this uh, nascent climate collaborative that you're all really working together to, to make into a reality, um, what brought you into that? So, okay, you've been involved with Asia Philanthropy Circle, but what about this collaborative? Is it that appeals to you and what are you hoping to, to get out of it and be able to add to the conversation? I'm really excited about the Climate Collective, as Lawrence knows. Um, APC initiating this and having members opt in shows that there's interest in climate as a focus. So it's proof that we've come a long way uh, when it comes to putting the environment on our agenda. And it's inspiring to see more and more philanthropy stand up and, and want to join the fight. So the collective is launching in September and um, where it'll be a member led. Uh, so we don't exactly know how things will be yet, but I think going at it together means we'll have more minds to draw from um, and a stronger voice. It means we'll have more scale, which brings us that much closer to creating impact. And hopefully it'll help us drive participation, uh, both within the collective and in the wider community as well. I love it. I love it. Absolutely right. I think um, you may not necessarily have a highly prescriptive notion of how things will unfold, but the fact that you're coming at this together and with a common passion and, uh, and shared experience is great. Lawrence, give us a little bit of insight into what's involved 
in launching this collective, this collaborative. So you've been involved with many philanthropists over the years, but what's different about setting it up in a, in a structured way for a specific thematic area that you're all going to be pulling into and saying, okay, we're going to be learning from each other, making a difference? Um, Alberto, I, I think we, we discussed before that the podcast, how little philanthropy, philanthropic dollars are in environments. You know, I think the number is like 2% of global philanthropy goes to climate. And I think Asia probably has to double insult that uh, only a very small fraction of that uh, climate funding goes to our region. I think there's a sense uh, among philanthropists that this is a problem too big for me to tackle. They may think, yes, there's urgency in climate change. We are in a climate crisis, but that's for government. I mean, government dollars are so much bigger than philanthropic dollars. Uh, so we, we want to dispel that notion you know, that uh, philanthropy can't do anything about it. Uh, and and we, we do have many philanthropists who are starting out uh, among our members, and we felt wouldn't it be great to bring them together uh, to learn together and and uh, experiment, you know, collaborate, not just with each other but with other global funders, right? So this, I mean, the whole idea of this is is partnership because the problem is big, but it's also learning what works, what doesn't work, um, supporting one another. And what happens is that APC itself provides a secretariat, will provide the backbone, will connect uh, members with potential partners, will try to reduce complexity uh, and just coordinate you know, the, the work of, of the members interested in this. Um, Southeast Asia needs a lot of help because, well, I mean, Asia has got 60% of the world's population. Southeast Asia is, has got uh, 600 over a million people and a lot live on the coast. If sea, water, sea levels go up, you know, we are, you know, all these people living on the coast would be in trouble. So we're hopeful that by, by working with partners, we can design this bespoke curriculum that's specific to the climate issues in Southeast Asia and um, create impact. Mm. And what's involved in actually launching this? So you're so you're launching this literally in in a few days, I guess we could say. If we're if we're, if we're looking at things, what's involved in launching it? What's that going to look like? Um, how can people get involved if they're not already involved with you? Well, we have we have um, eight uh, different members coming together in like, this collective. Uh, so we the first is to to have a climate lead, I mean, a, a staff who's just focused on this and helping these members. Um, and we're very excited that we're going to be able to bring one in um, and uh, and she will, will help our members figure out the programming. I mean, it's, uh, it's still early days yet. I mean, we, in, in the works, it's a workshop where we also, it's not just for our members, but it's also open to the wider community to, to, to first learn. And then I think we, we can think, we can share what projects we have with one another, as well as strategize more specific actions you know, where there could be co-funding. Is there any, uh, I, I know Kathleen, you mentioned there's not a highly prescriptive uh, view of exactly how this will play out, but are you, are there any sort of notions that you have in terms of what your collaboration might actually look like? 
in this collective, in this collaborative? And by that, I'm asking whether you might be thinking about, say, um, project evaluation, whether you do that in a unified way, the grant making, whether that might be through a pooled fund of resources versus individual grants from individual foundations. I'd uh, love to get your take, uh, well, for the three of you, but you know, I guess Kathleen and, and Dominic, since you're both philanthropists and different philanthropists, what, what are you envisioning as you're embarking on this collective? As Lawrence mentioned, it's going to be really starting out with a learning journey and getting everyone on the same page. Um, and then I think there are going to be opportunities for collaborating and giving together and learning from global funders as well. I think the interesting thing is going to be uh, to see how APC coordinates the different members, because we all know we might have this topic of climate, but then there are so many subtopics below that as well. And how do you get everyone aligned? And, and so I think that's going to be uh, interesting to see how that plays out. But I think with everyone rallying um, uh, behind a, a common passion and cause, I think we'll be able to, to do more things than we'll be able to do by ourselves. Yeah. Dominic, do you have any any notions of what it'll, it might look like? I think there's an element of suck it and see. Um, I, I would, though, pay tribute to Lawrence's uh, vision in, in, in seeing the need for this and actually setting it up. Um, because as you've all said, the existing knowledge base and resources are pitifully limited. But I think Kathleen said it right. You know, first of all, there's a learning process. Uh, and, and that will will lead naturally to the setting of an agenda and priorities. Uh, and then I think you, you yourself, Alberta, you talked about processes, how to evaluate what's required and what the outcomes are. I think that's quite an important point. I think it's a good one. And then of course, um, joint joint contribution. Yeah, I think that, that, that all, all of those ought to be predictable sort of stages on, on this journey. And of course, for all of us, it is a journey, isn't it? Um, we don't know really where we're where we're heading. Uh, so, <laughs> how well how well do you all know each other? So these different, I think, eight different foundations coming together, eight different philanthropies coming together. How well do you know each other? Well, let me say, I'm I, I'm I'm probably one of the more recent joinees. So I've actually not yet physically attended an APC meeting because I joined just as COVID came down. But uh, Lawrence and I have met. And I know some of the other members. Yeah. Right. And Kathleen? Yes, I know some of the other members as well. Um, but Dominic and I have only met once before. Um, but it's it's really nice to see um, us all excited about the same thing. That's great. So in a way, that's a little bit of uh, jumping into the unknown. In other words, you you, you have Lawrence and Asia Philanthropy Circle as the, as the convener and the glue and possibly the the, the trust creating uh, forum, but you guys each other don't necessarily know your, each other very very well. And here you are taking a step that's going to conceivably lead to a lot of impact and a lot of um, trust required between each of you, right? In terms of making sure that your your resources are being leveraged and deployed effectively, efficiently. Absolutely. And seeing each other in the same room in a meeting is very different from collaborating together as well. Right. No, absolutely. And in terms of other foundations that might be in the periphery, I'm sure with the launch of the collaborative just around the corner, are there people who you're already thinking, yeah, you know, I can see that they're looking at us, they're keen to, to hop on board as well to learn more at least? 
Well, I mean, certainly we, we all want to learn from people who have done a lot. I mean, like Dominic, I, I, I think Dominic has been, uh, has not even given his, his the, the full picture of, <laughs> of, of what he has done. Uh, uh-huh. Dominic, give us a little bit more of a picture than of what you've done. You're being, perhaps you're being modest. I'm not quite sure where Lawrence is going with that. Um, but uh, but what, what I can talk about is something that, um, and I think actually there's a link between Kathleen and myself, which is that we're both interested in aspects of the natural world. Uh, she's been very eloquent in her view on, on the ocean. Um, I'm uh, interested in more specifically biodiversity, but obviously those two are part and parcel of the same thing. And, you know, biodiversity is is essentially the flip side of the climate change coin um you know that you can't talk about one without talking about the other so my own personal driver is 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 really biodiversity and in and and in particular biodiversity economics and the 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 vision to which um i i struggle towards is um to create metrics that we can measure biodiversity improvement or degradation and then those metrics are being able to be included in policy considerations and above all in economic decision making so that we actually have an effective tool in the same way as for climate per se there's co2 equivalent we need a similar metric for 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 biodiversity so um, one of the things that we've done is in, endowed a chair at um, Exeter University here in, in the UK in, um, in uh, biodiversity economics. It's the second only such chair in the world, I think. Wonderful. The strap line for, for the professor is to answer the question, how can markets price the absence of birdsong? How can markets price the absence of birdsong? And, you know, to me, that's the holy grail. If we can get anywhere near answering that sort of question, we'll have taken the whole biodiversity and natural side of the climate change coin um, up a very, very great level. Um, and that's, that's what keeps me awake at night. That's a great topic. You're, you're all concerned about climate, but obviously you're looking at it, climate itself is such a broad topic, and you're looking at it and approaching it from different vantage points and, and different drivers. What are the sort of things that you might conceivably be collaborating on backing when uh, where you could be looking at climate from economics, you could look at it from from science, you can look at it from psychology and behavioral and attitudinal change? Well, maybe I could leap in um, as as I think um, we've heard, you know, specifics of the agenda haven't yet been set. But I think that the the. the starting point for all of this has got to be different aspects of learning and and learning involves information and information involves disclosure so i you know for me the 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 starting point would be um putting in place mechanisms where our geographies our economic players um are encouraged incentivized maybe even prodded and forced to disclose uh, aspects of climate related information and if we can do that then we will have in the public domain um, for for all economic actors either individuals or, or institutions or governments to 
to begin to sift through the consequences of those of those disclosures that would be a starting point and i think that you know that on its own is going to keep us quite busy for a while yeah Kathleen, are there certain things you you have your eyes on in terms of funding opportunities initiatives that you're particularly passionate about that you think well you're going to bring these up into conversation of the uh of this nascent collective collaborative yeah, so we talked about it being member-driven, and I suppose as a member, I could talk about some of the things that we work on as well and that we're excited about. So um, one of the areas is nature-based solutions, and I mentioned earlier that we work at it from an ocean perspective, so coming at it from marine protected areas and, and carbon projects. Um, we're really excited about promoting a plant-rich diet via alternative proteins, uh, particularly seafood, which we have an interest in due to the focus on overfishing, but it can also address destructive fishing practices like bottom trawling that we know releases carbon as well. Um, addressing circularity um, and the impacts of plastic waste, which in addition to marine debris also addresses methane emissions from landfills. And, and raising awareness, I suppose, is a big part of it, such as educational programs and leveraging journalism. Wow, wow. Lawrence, I gather then Asia Philanthropy Circle, their role won't just be convening, but probably also um, being a facilitator, I guess is what I would say, right? Yes. As you know, I mean, all our members are doing incredible things and doing different things. So that's, that is great and that's also a challenge. But I see the collective as just a starting point, right? We're going to reach out to many other funders, those who are already funding, those who are not funding. Uh, so we'll bring uh, many others into the tent, you know, but starting with this group of eight, then we can find those commonalities. There'll be, you know, with, with climate change, many things need to be done. So everything that we're all working on needs to be double, triple, quadrupled in effort, you know, and uh, so there, there's just plenty to do. But I think what we want to tell people is there's no excuse. We all have to be part of this. It's not just for you know, you know, a small number of crazy environmentalists. We're not crazy anymore. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> everyone has to be involved. Yeah. And this tent of yours that you're talking about, it's a welcoming tent, right? And I guess people don't don't need to be in Singapore or Vietnam. It's in the region and, and they can look in many different ways. As, as long as you are interested to work in, in, in the region, no, it doesn't matter where you are. Excellent, excellent. I um, first of all, I'm sorry that we're running out of time because this is a conversation we could take for much, much longer and drill into so many different areas. But I always like to finish up with a key takeaway. What's that one thing you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? And since we have three wonderful guests, I guess we can have three key takeaways today um, in no particular order. But um, well, I guess, Lawrence, let's just continue with you. What's that key takeaway you'd love for the audience to keep in mind? Well, um, in order to get to net zero, everyone has to play a role. So we all have to start now. Wonderful, wonderful. And Dominic? Um, yes, I guess my position uh, as of today is um, don't commit to zero in the future. We've all got to be honest about what's going on today. Yeah. Mm. Mm. 
And how about you, Kathleen? A parting thoughts, parting key takeaway for today's episode? Yeah, Lauren's talked about urgency. And I think many of us get caught up in designing interventions that we hope will create systems change. But I think while being strategic is something we should all strive for, having multiple imperfect solutions can ultimately create systems change as well. So I'd say don't wait. Don't wait for perfection before acting. Wonderful, wonderful. And on that wonderful takeaway from all three of you, thank you very, very much for joining me on the Do One Better podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I sincerely hope you have a wonderful launch of this new Climate Collective, Climate Collaborative. And here's to continued success, both with the, uh, with the Collaborative and also with uh, Asia Philanthropy Circle. So thank you for, for sharing your story with us today. Thank you, Alberto. Thank you, Alberto. Thank you, Alberto. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to the Do One Better podcast and hearing all about the nascent Climate Collective that's coming out of Singapore, compliments of the Asia Philanthropy Circle. For episode notes about today's conversation, please visit our website at liji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org where you will also find information on 100 other episodes with remarkable thought leaders. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and I'll catch you next week.